0: How many of you know the show Jeopardy, where you answer questions sort of in the form of a question? Well, we're going to have a little Hope Chapel Jeopardy this morning, all right? Single category, miracles of Jesus, all right? So you have to answer these in the form of a question. So what we have is paintings. Let's do our first one. What is, don't all speak up at once, right? Good guess, but what is healing of the leper? I guess that would be an eh. <laughs> the answer is, what is the healing of the leper? Good guess, though, because he's touching the eyes, right? Some of you remember the story. As soon as Jesus left the mountain from teaching the Sermon on the Mount, immediately encountered a person who was, um, had, had the disease of leprosy, which was terrifying to them in the ancient world. And the Scripture tells us that Jesus reached out and touched the untouchable and the leper was healed. Okay, let's see if you do better on the next one. All right, here we go. The healing of the paralytic, right? The healing of the paralytic. Now, we actually had this story in several of the Gospels. Yeah, it's not the greatest painting, is it? You know, so I had one other of these, but it was really cheesy. So I can only have one cheesy one. We have another cheesy one coming up here in a minute. So the healing of the paralytic. Mark tells us that Jesus was in a home. It was so full of people, so many people around it, that these friends who were so desperate and passionate to see their their friend healed, carried him, climbed up on the roof, dug the roof open, and lowered him down in, in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus not only forgave his sins, but then reached out and, healed him, and he picked up his pallet, and he walked, if you will. The healing of the leper. I mean, the healing of the paralytic. Next one. What is feeding of the 5,000? There we go, Scott. All right. <laughs> <coughs> you could get the 4,000, too, right? You know, but we know, many of us, we know this story, right? Jesus is out in a remote area trying to be by himself. Folks find out that he's there. They crowd to him. It becomes late in the day. It's the time for them to eat. The disciples are saying, you've you got to get rid of these people because we're never going to feed them, and they're going to starve, and it's whatever. And Jesus said, no, we should feed them. What, what do we have to offer them? And he says, well, we've got five loaves and two fishes. Jesus took the bread, and he took the fish, and he prayed over it, and he began to break it. And it was enough not only for the 5,000 men, but the women and the children that were with them, and they had basketfuls left over. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. we got one left. Two left? All right. Yeah, this is the cheesy one. I'm sorry about that. It's got cheesy artwork. But John chapter 11, right? Jesus is close to this family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. They send for Jesus. Jesus says, you know, this is not a sickness to death, but this is about the glory of God. And he delays and he goes. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. When Jesus gives the instruction for them to move the door, even one of the sisters says, you know, he's going to smell really bad now. And Jesus still gives a command. He says, if you believe, did I not tell you that you would see the glory of God? And with that, he yells out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus emerged from the grave alive. The miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. We got one more. What is walking on the water, right? Jesus had departed from, had a large group of people together. He sent them away. He put the disciples in a boat to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He spent literally the night in prayer. It was somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. He came walking over the water to them. They were terrified. And, And he said, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's me, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, command me to come. And Peter begins to walk across the water, but when he sees the waves, from the storm he begins to sink so the miracle of the walking on the water now against that backdrop I want you to hear these words of Jesus he who believes in me how many of us put ourselves in that category he who believes in me the works that I do he will also do and even greater works than these shall he do How does that make you feel? You say, well, you know what? In January, I can walk on water. But actually, it's called ice then. So that's kind of cheating, right? I might be able to heal some people just by dialing 911. And if I get the ambulance there fast enough, they might be able to get healed. But for the most part, when we think about the miracles, the works of Jesus, and Jesus saying, "He who believes in me, the works that I do, they will also do." For the most part, we, we react in one of two ways. One side is, is we're just we're we're just overwhelmed. We're intimidated. We think that that's just totally impossible. It sounds just crazy to us, doesn't it? On the other end, we feel discouraged because our lives doesn't look anything like that, right? And I want to start a series today called Greater. And, and I, today's objective, I just have one objective for today's sermon. I want to prove to you from the Word of God, from a single passage, that it is actually God's plan, God's will for your life to do greater works. You know, you may want to reject it, that's your responsibility, but I want to be able to show you from the scriptures that you that that it is clear that God's plan for us is to live lives that are marked by greater works. I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14 with me. John is the fourth gospel and the beginning of the New Testament. Many of you will want to use our pew Bibles and you'll find them there under the seat in front of you, and we encourage you to to do that, and if, if you're using our, our Bible, the Hebrew Bible today, the text is on page 916. Now, I want to read a lengthier passage, even though we're going to focus on verses 12 through 14, because we have to set this all in context. So let me read the first 20 verses for us, then put in some context with it, and then try to make my argument, my biblical case to us, that God's intent is that you and I wouldn't have lesser lives, but we would have greater lives. And that we begin the journey of actually trying to discover how it is that we live lives that are marked by that greaterness of God. Verse 1 of chapter 14 says, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I, I would have told you says, so I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way where I am going. Lord, said Thomas, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord said, Philip, just show us the Father. That's enough for us. Just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus said, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I speak to you, I don't speak of my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in his me. And, and, and otherwise, it, it, just believe because of the works themselves. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He he is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You will see me, because I live, you will live too. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, we need to understand this teaching in kind of context. In John chapter 13, the immediate before then, Jesus is having another of his departure teachings. He's talking about the fact that his life is about ready to come to an end. in particular, in John chapter 13, he's telling them that one of them is going to betray him. And he talks about the fact that they're all going to scatter and that Peter is going to deny him and all those kinds of things. And and they're obviously agitated. They're upset. They're grieving. They're confused. They're, They're discouraged. And so Jesus offers them in John chapter 14 three Words of comfort, if you will. Three consolations. The first of those is the promise of a heavenly home. He said, I know all of this is troubling and et cetera. He says, but you need to realize that when I leave here, I'm getting the mansion ready. And every single one of you has got a name on a door, a place for you to live. That ought to comfort you. And if I'm going there to prepare for it, you ought to know I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me. And so he offers the constellation of the heavenly home that's being prepared for them. The second constellation that he offers is what we're going to look at today, these greater works. He says, besides, when, when I go, guess what? Your lives are going to get ramped up to a level that you cannot imagine. Because the works that I do, you're going to do. And even greater works than those, you're going to do. Then he offers one last constellation. Said, besides, when I get to heaven, guess what? I'm going to send you somebody else. Another counselor that we know is the Holy Spirit. The one who b- brings the presence of God, the, of God into our lives, puts Christ within us, if you will, who is the down payment of our future inheritance. It's an amazing thing. Now, I want to focus in specifically on this promise of Jesus in verse 12. It says, if I assure you, some of your translations say truly, truly. That means like, oh, 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 I know I've been talking a lot, but you really need to pay attention to this. The one who believes in me will do the works that I do. And even greater works are they going to do because I go to the Father. Now, what does he mean by these greater works? Well, the interpretations have kind of run in three different directions, sometimes holding all of them in view view over the centuries. As the church has tried to unpack this teaching of Jesus, some of them have understood this greater works in a geographical sense. When Jesus was on the planet, ministering in the incarnation, he restricted his ministry to Palestine, just to Israel, right? I mean, he ventured outside just a little bit to Tyrena and Cabo, but for the most part, it was right there in a little strip of land on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea, and it was just restricted there, and it was intentionally so. But when when he died and when he went to heaven, what did the church do? Exploded, right? It went west. You know, it made its way to, to, you know, up to Antioch to the north, and then around to the to the west through modern day Turkey, and eventually we see Paul planted in Rome at the seat where the gospel can go to any part of the planet. Geographically, it's just exploding. Even today, there's a church from India that refers to itself as the Martoma Church, meaning from Thomas. And there's the tradition that the Apostle Thomas went, took the gospel to India during his lifetime, moving east. Geographically, it just exploded. In some ways, the church has seen the answer to this greater works and the fact that the gospel moved geographically outside of the area of Palestine. You know, and I, I'd like to remind us that there's still a need for that to happen. There are hundreds of language groups in our world today who still do not have the gospel in their own language. That their heart language, the language that they grew up learning and their, their little people group, they still do not have the gospel embedded within it. And there's a need for the gospel still to grow geographically. There's also a sense in which they understood it numerically, right? That there was a sense that more people were going to be reached and that more good things were going to get done. For the most part, in the New Testament, the the Gospels, the good stuff, the greater works are limited just to Jesus, right? I mean, there's an occasion where he commissions the disciples to go out and they're doing miracles in his name and they're all excited about that. But by and large, it's just, just him, right? But then after the day of Pentecost, I mean, it just begins to explode. And the church has just had a tremendous impact numerically on the world. In fact, most of the things that really give, uh, you know, are, are some of the kind things that our culture does originate with the church. I mean, the first orphanages were started by the church. The first hospitals were started by the church. First education of Kids by and large, not just the rich ones who could afford it, but all of them, was started by the church. You know, much of, of our learning and art and architecture and all that kind of stuff was driven by the church. The church has had a tremendous impact in creating a spiritual footprint on our world. And it's just expl- exploded numerically around the world. But there's also a sense in which some have understood these works to refer to being more dramatic works. We find this a bit intimidating, don't we? I mean, Jesus raised people from the dead. The blind see, you know? The man with the withered hand reaches out his hand and it becomes healthy as he extends it. I mean, it's, it's incredible stuff. And we say, how can we be more dramatic than that? But in some ways, you know... When Peter was wandering around the streets of Jerusalem, you know what the sick people prayed? Lord, don't let it be cloudy today. Don't let it be cloudy today. Why? Because when it's cloudy, there's no shadow. And we read in Acts chapter 5 that when Peter walked around the streets of Jerusalem, the sick people would come out and sit by the edge of the road because even just the passing of his shadow over them them made them whole. I'd call that pretty dramatic, wouldn't you? We read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul, you know, he's a tent maker. He's wearing his apron and he's wiping his brow with his, you know, handkerchief through the course of the day. And, he, and he's working around and he puts it down on the table and he does some more work and he looks around and it's gone because people were stealing him, if you will, yeah. you know, and taking them home because they just if they touched the sick person with his apron, or with a handkerchief that came from him, they were healed. I'd call that pretty dramatic, wouldn't you? Now, I want to say to you that this greater life may not look exactly like handkerchiefs and aprons and shadows, but this greater life is what God wants for us. And, and I want to make a case biblically to you from John chapter 14. That you and I are to embrace an understanding that it is God's intent for those of us who believe in Christ that our lives would be marked by greater works. And and I could probably give you lots of reasons, but let me just give you three that emerge from this text today. Again, turn back, just focus in. uh, And and I want to look at these core verses, but let's start with verses 9 through 11. Philip looks at Jesus, and he says, you know, Jesus, just show us the Father. Just once and for all, just show us the Father. Just just peel back the curtain of heaven, if you will, and just allow us to see the eternal Oz that's sitting on his throne. You know what I'm saying? Just allow us to see in heaven and see God on his throne like Isaiah did. Just show us the Father one time. And Jesus says, Philip, how long have I been with you? Doesn't it? Hasn't it hit you yet that if you've seen me, you've seen God? You've seen the Father. And then and then he says to him, you know, if you don't believe from what you've seen in me and, and what I've taught and whatever, just look at the miracles and believe on the basis of them. Now, from that, we get this idea that Jesus revealed his divinity, He revealed his sonship. He revealed his unity or identity with the Father through his works. Now he turns around and he says, I'm going to heaven. You are the ones who are still going to be on the planet. How are we going to prove that I really am the Son of God? It's through the works that you do. And, And one of the reasons that I would say to you, that it is God's plan, it's God's will for every single one of our lives to be marked by greater is because God is still interested in revealing Himself to the world through His Son and through those. And so we get this idea that our greater works are intended to reveal the divinity, the sonship of God. I don't often do this to you, but I want to just read just a short word out of a commentary. This is actually a commentary that was written by John Calvin and then updated by someone else. John Calvin, one of the great performers of the, uh, reformers of the church. And, you know, he, he, he's dealing with this question of greater works, and he just wants to pass by a lot of a, other answers. And he says, let me just say, he says, first, we must understand what Christ means, namely that the power by which he proves himself to be the Son of God isn't confined to his bodily presence, that it must be more clearly demonstrated by many and striking proofs, even when he's absent. So now the ascension of Christ was soon afterwards followed by a wonderful conversion of the world, in which the divinity, the the the, the godhoodness of Christ—I don't even know if that's a word—but I just made that up. All right, so you'll see that in the next version of your 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 um, dictionaries that the godhoodness of Christ was more powerfully displayed than while he dwelt among men. Thus we see that the proof of his divinity was not confined to the person of Christ, but was diffused through the whole body of the church. God's plan for these greater works that he's scripted in to be in the part of our lives, this greater living, is that he wants to reveal his son to the world through us. That's God's, and that's why he said, you know, Philip, just believe because of the part, part, on behalf of the works themselves. And in fact, I'm going to send you guys out and you're going to do these greater works and people are still going to look at it and say, Jesus is the Son of God. Second truth. Because Jesus has gone to be the Father, to be with the Father, he's no longer restricted by the incarnation. Notice what he says at the verse End of verse 12. He said, "Uh, you know what? You're going to do the works that I do. You're going to even do greater works than these. And here's the reason why, because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus was on the planet, we read this passage earlier from Philippians. He humbled himself and he submitted himself to limitations, to submit his role, to fulfill his role as our Savior and our Redeemer. You know, when when you're stuck in a physical body, you can't be everywhere at once, right? Some of you parents have tried that, right? You try to be everywhere. You can't do it. One place at a time. Jesus was restricted by his body. Didn't know everything. He said, you know what? That knowledge is just left for the Father. I, I, I gave up my right to that knowledge when I became incarnated. But now he's going to the Father. And, and all those restrictions are coming off. And Jesus said, I can be everywhere, all the time, in all of you. And because of that, We're just going to unleash it, and you're going to do greater works. Because I'm not going to be restricted by by the body anymore. I'm going to be released to work through all of you to change the world, that people are going to be able to see Christ in us. Calvin went on to say the same thing about this idea of going to the Father. He said, this is the reason why the disciples would do greater works than Christ himself. It is because when he entered into the possession of his kingdom, otherwise went to heaven, he was more fully he was more he will more fully demonstrate his power from heaven. Hence it is evident that his glory is in no degree diminished, because after his departure the apostles, who are only his instruments, performed more excellent works. What is more, in this manner it became evident that he sitteth at the right hand of the Father, and that every knee may bow. If 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 all of the the divine power had just gone away when Jesus left the planet. What would that have said about Jesus? Great leader, powerful guy, but, but you know what? He, he, he's nothing special. What communicates the fact that he's divine is he can keep doing the same things through us. Because this is his world. And so God is eager for us to do these greater works last truth and we see here from the, the, his later statements in verses 13 and 14 just the impact of prayer and he says I'm going to the father and I'm going to be in a whole different place to be able to answer your to, to grant your petitions so whatever you ask in my name I'll do it so that the father may be glorified in the son you, 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 you if you ask me anything in my name I'm going to do it now obviously there are parameters in all of this right I mean, you can pray as hard as you want for a 51 Ferrari. You're not going to get one, right? Well, maybe you will. I don't know. But that's not what God's talking about here. You know, Jesus said earlier in John chapter 5, he said, you know what? I see what God, I see what the Father's doing, and I just join him, and, and, and just everything happens. When you and I are asking God to do the things that he's already doing, it just goes to the next level. Jesus said, "You know, you you're asking for something that I'm going to do, that I'm already doing." He said, "I'm going to answer it, and, and and these greater things are going to happen. Just ask it in my name, and consistent with who I am, what I'm about, what my purposes are. It's going to happen, and in many ways it did, and should be today. You know, we, sometimes we get we get all kind of caught up. We we think about these things, and you know we, you know we." We often want to govern our prayer requests by what's going to make our lives easier and what God's really interested in answering are the prayers that make, will make us holier. You know what I mean? We, we want to pray for escape rather than praying for victory in the midst of our circumstances. Somehow or another, God answers our prayer when we're healed, but if God gives us a victorious spirit in the midst of our disease... Somehow or another, that's not really an answer to prayer. And you can just kind of keep taking the list as you go on and on. God's passion is for his glory to be declared in the world, isn't it? It's his passion. His creation does it, and his plan is for you and I to do it through the greater works that he does through us. Now... We're gonna be in a journey here for a few weeks of asking how do we really rekindle or or unleash that plan in our lives? And there are some things I think we need to go through. But here, here's here's what I wanna ask you to do today as a result of what you've heard. Just you know, I think that the evil one has sold the church a line that we've bought into completely. That that somehow or another, after the end of Acts chapter 28, when they see that the gospel is spreading through the world, it's strategically placed in Rome, ready to go, that somehow or another Satan and his angels, you know, his generals, got off on a strategic retreat someplace in the far ends of the universe. And they said, well, what's our reality? Our reality is is we're losing market share. More and more people going over to God. The other reality is, is we've got an inferior product. We're offering death. They're offering life, so what are we going to do to stay in business? And 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 somehow or another, I, I think we've just bought into this idea that you know what, let's just change their expectations of faith. Instead, instead of faith being about greater, let's just let them be convinced that it's really about lesser. It, it's not really about victory; it's really just about man. Just, just enduring. It's not about thriving. It's about merely surviving. Many of us, we have whittled down our expectation of our faith Is this is what allows me to get through the day. Do you know what I mean? We've bought into that lie that, our, that the best that our faith has to offer us is lesser living instead of greater living. And, and I'm just going to ask you, At least for these next four to five weeks, to say, you know what? I'm going to be open to the fact that that's really a lie. And that God's plan is not for me to settle with lesser living, but God's plan is for me to live in a greater way. That life is supposed to be far more than about just surviving, it's supposed to be about thriving. It's not just about enduring, but it's about victory, it's about making the difference. God works within us reject the lie stay in the conversation as we rekindle God's plan for us to live greater lives let's pray together God there's much in this text today that we we really struggle to get our minds and hearts around we, we, got, we got years of experience that would tell us that greater works are just not on our calendar. So God, we would say to you today, we believe. Help our unbelief. As so we prayed in Jesus' name, amen.